Welcome to Howden's podcast, Fortune Favors the Brave. We all take risks in our everyday life and business is no different. In this podcast, we're speaking to the experts about a topical challenge or issue and what business leaders can do to overcome it. Welcome to Howden's podcast series, Fortune Favors the Brave. My name is Jenny Screech and this is the first episode in a three-part series related to Convancing and the Building Safety Act 2022. There is absolutely no doubt that the Building Safety Act is causing a great deal of consternation in the property market in relation to the sale and purchase of leasehold flats. The legislation is difficult and it's fair to say it's been the subject of a great deal of criticism. But it's here to stay and the choice for solicitors involved in conveyancing is either not to do the work at all, and some firms have made that choice, or to learn how to manage the risk as you navigate the Act. I'm delighted to be joined today by Ian Quayle, who is well known in the conveyancing profession and to our benefit has made it his mission to really get to grips with the intricacies of the Building Safety Act so that he can help the profession to understand how they can navigate affected transactions effectively. So Ian, a very warm welcome um, to you today. And we always start our podcasts with a bit of an icebreaker relating to risks. So what I want you to do is tell us about a time when you took a risk and how that worked out for you. Hi, Jenny. First of all, thank you for inviting me along today. Yeah, risk. There's been a few risky incidents over the years, as you can imagine, but uh, I frequently on a Sunday morning take the dogs for a long walk to collect the newspapers. And one morning I was walking, as I do with the dogs, and I could hear a sheep bleating, uh, but bleating with a sort of an echoey, ghostly type of noise, which was quite bizarre. So over I went to uh, the fence, looked in the field, nothing. Looked in the woods adjacent to the field, nothing. Looked in the trees, which is a bit of a bizarre thing to do, and nothing. And yet again, I could hear this bleating over the fence I clambered and into the field and wandered about 10 yards or so and looked down and there was a broken drain a large field drain and in the bottom of the drain was said sheep who was very unhappy probably been there all night rather disheveled and rather foolishly on my part in I jump to try and rescue this animal and once I'm in I realize that rescue is perhaps going to be a difficult task given that fleece was soaking wet and given that sheep are quite big and quite heavy so uh, whilst the sheep was in an unfortunate position to start with, so was I, in that I was struggling to get out, never mind the sheep. But between us, we managed after 20 minutes, got the thing out, was absolutely covered in sheep muck of dirt, wet and all that goes with it. Went home to explain to my partner, Elaine, how on earth I'd got in that state. And you can imagine she wasn't too happy or impressed and was b- b- surprised by the bizarre story. So, yeah, that was the risk that I took. It was probably doing a good deed that could have ended up quite badly for both the sheep and I. But thanks for the question. Well, thank you for that, Ian. And I'm pleased that everything uh, worked out and no animals were harmed in the making of the podcast. (laughs) Excellent. Right, let's get back to the Building Safety Act. And in this first episode, I want to focus on the start of the transaction and, and what to do when the client first instructs you. So, Pretend for a moment that um, I'm a solicitor. Yeah. I've just received instructions from some first-time buyers yeah. purchasing a leasehold flat development, say, central Manchester. Yes. I don't know how many stories the building is, whether mm-hmm. it has an EWS1. Where do I start? What okay. should I be asking? Yeah. Great question, Jenny. What I would do in a situation such as that is look at the documentation that the seller's going to produce for me. 
which will be the TA7 form, and section 11, which will contain information, hopefully about height. Look at the LPE1, which the landlord is going to produce and provide to the seller, which then will be coming to me via the contract bundle. And both of those documents may contain information relating to the height of the building. The problem with that, of course, is how does a seller know what the height of the building is? As we know, the issue of height of a building is complex. There is government guidance, but we need to ascertain the height of a building to ascertain relevant building status, five storeys, 11 metres, higher risk building status, 18 metres or seven storeys, and a seller's not going to know that. And the seller's conveyancer is unlikely to know that either. A landlord might know it, and the landlord might contain that information in the LPE1, the only degree of comfort that we've got is where there is a higher risk building, the landlord should have registered it. And if it's been registered, then we know it's more than 18 metres and more than seven storeys. And therefore, automatically, it is a relevant building because it's more than five storeys or 11 metres in height. So that's the information that we could get. The way of answering the question is to say we need to scope the retainer so the client, buyer client, understands that we cannot verify the height of the building, that we have no independent evidence as to the height. We're reliant on third parties provide that information for us. Our buyer, surveyor or valuer is unlikely to verify height. Some do, but they're very rare and they'll charge extra for that provision, but the vast majority of surveyors or valuers on behalf of the buyer are not going to verify the height of the building for us. Okay, that's really helpful. So it's complicated right from the outset. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. And the EWS1, mm-hmm. when am I going to get my hands on that? Do I well, need to ask for that? Well, we may get the EWS1 in the, in the LPE1. We may get it in connection with our TA replies from the seller, But remember, with an EWS-1, it's not a fire safety certificate. It is just some evidence with regard to fire safety risks. And what I'm saying to the profession is that fire safety risks are an issue with regard to building safety, but they're not the only issues. You've also got the risk of collapse of a building, which again is a building safety risk. The landlord or accountable persons, as they're described under the Act, would be responsible for undertaking assessments relating to fire safety risks that are likely to override and likely to be more beneficial to anyone that's advising the buyer client about fire safety. So, Ian, we've only just got started, and it's already sounding sounding very complicated. So, first-time buyers, how much information am I going to need to give them about the Building Safety Act? And, And what's the best way do you think of going about that? The way to deal with this, I think, is first of all to front load clients with information. And you do that in the retainer or engagement letter. And then you could supplement that with an information sheet about some general issues relating to the Building Safety Act. So I think what you do is you divide up your response so that you're dealing with a relevant building and referring to the protection that's potentially available to clients in connection with Schedule 8, which has the potential to reduce service charge for remediation work for relevant defects. Don't want to bore you with that at the moment, but that's what I'd be saying to clients. In general terms, there's some protection from Schedule 8 if we've got a relevant building and a qualifying lease. And then I think the other thing that we do, if we've got a higher risk building, 18 metres or seven storeys in height, we explain to the client again in general terms, the likelihood is that the landlord, due to the additional burdens that are imposed on it, courtesy of the Building Safety Act, will have to do more work, leading to more service charge, which the leaseholder will have to pay for, 
And in addition to that, the Act amends the Landlord and Tenant Act 1985 by creating implied terms into a residential long lease that will affect the buyer client in that there will be additional duties and responsibilities that that client has and there will be implied terms on the landlord enabling the landlord to recover cost and the landlord to fulfil its management duty and interestingly a right of the landlord to inspect the flat or the apartment our imaginary client is buying to assess whether or not the client is performing its duties with regard to the Building Safety Act. Okay. So do you think it would be really useful for firms to have information sheets that yeah. they could give to, to clients yeah. Um, yeah. To, to front load the Absolutely. information? Yeah. Just, just as people would, are doing at the moment with, say, for example, leases and pets. So there's an information sheet. You know, if you're buying a flat, a flat in an apartment block, the likelihood is there'll be restrictions or constraints on pets just as you're getting information sheets about Airbnb letting or the inability to Airbnb let in flats and apartments in buildings. Yeah. Okay, right. So when it comes to my engagement um, letter, and my understanding is that where the Building Safety Act is involved, it's going to be really important for retainers to have disclaimers. Yes. And... Am I right in understanding that those disclaimers are going to need to be really quite robust, aren't yes. they? I mean, a one-liner is just really not no, going to cut it, is it? No, not at all. Absolutely, you're quite right. Absolutely essential that there are clear disclaimers explaining to the client in the context of the BSA what we're going to do, and that really is just the provision of general advice relating to the Act, highlighting to the client what we can't do. We've touched on confirming the height of a building. We're also going to be probably unable to give advice or to verify the content of a landlord certificate. And we're also unlikely to be able to confirm certain aspects of a leaseholder deed of certificate. So what we've got to do, and there's loads of case law supporting this, is that we've got to be quite clearly defining what we're doing, what we're not doing, so the client can understand the issues. And as you said in your introduction, the BSA is a complex piece of legislation with a number of issues with regard to interpretation. And I think it's important that clients understand that, that a conveyancer has a difficult, if not impossible, task to determine whether the Act applies in this particular circumstance or situation. Right. And I guess, too, having made those disclaimers in your engagement letter, it's really important to stick to them because you're going to have, you know, buyers who are going to be wanting the information and they really are going to push yeah. um, solicitors to go um, you know, beyond what they should be advising on. Yeah, you're going to have the client, you're going to have estate agents, you could well have the solicitors for the seller or if you're on a sale, the buyer, again, all doing that push. And I think it's something that you preached, Jenny, quite rightly, this idea about monitoring the retainer so you're not forced or you're not doing anything during the transaction that goes beyond the original scope of the retainer. If you are going to do additional work, expand the retainer and again, back to first principles, telling the client the limits of that expansion. Okay. So just to give you um, a bit of a scenario Mm. to comment on, I'm being instructed in relation to uh, the purchase of a building. It's a modern design. It's a continuous single block, but at one end it's three stories. Yeah. And it gradually increases, so it's 10 stories at the other end. Mm -hmm. My clients are buying at the three-story end. Yeah. Uh, So should I advise my client to consult with a surveyor to determine whether this configuration brings the entire building um, within the scope of a relevant building 
necessitating the EWS1 yep. landlord certificate, yep. etc. Yeah. What I would do in a situation like that is if, if the client is risk averse, yes, instructing a surveyor to confirm the issue, there's government guidance about height of buildings and determining whether this is a building or a series of buildings, etc. But the likelihood is in the scenario that you've given me that we've got a relevant building and a higher risk building. And I think the best thing to do is to assume the worst and tell the client, look, this is what I think the position is on the basis that if we do that, then the client isn't being exposed to risk that we haven't highlighted. Mm-hmm. But in the situation I think you've explained, um, subject to a deep dive into some of the issues that I think only a surveyor could properly explain and verify, I'd be saying relevant building and a higher risk building given the information that's been disclosed to me. Mm-hmm. So if I tell my client, you, you really need to go off and get some advice from yeah. a surveyor um, mm. on this, mm. and they don't want to spend the money, and I've got the real estate agent shouting down the phone at me, yeah. telling me that this is all nonsense, yeah. what should I be doing then? Yeah. Well, again, the situation is that at the end of the day, it's not the surveyor, it's not the estate agent's uh, professional indemnity policy that's on the line, it's yours. So I would say, you know, your firm's policy with regard to how you're dealing with this matter should be adhered to. And again, you should be complying with your retainer or engagement letter, no matter what the pressure, no matter how keen you are to get a transaction through and completed, my view is you've got to stand your ground. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the problem too, because, you know, conveyances, solicitors, part of the DNA, you want to be helpful, don't you? Yes, you you do. But you're just going to have to really stand your ground on these issues. Yeah, because, you know, going back to your height issue, who can actually verify or confirm the height of a building? Because we're not talking about the top of a building. We can be talking about the top story and the floor of that top story being what we measure to. Now, how can you do that externally? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess, you know, you could get a building that, you know, on one side it's four storeys, but on the other side it's five storeys because it's on a hill. Absolutely. Or uh, I'm dealing with something at the moment where there are six storeys, but four of the stories have mezzanine floors that have more than 50% of the floor area of the story above or story below. So they're classed as a separate story. That's really complicated, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Very complicated. Ian, we're going to bring this episode uh, to a close now. Mm. And uh, I think that it's been really useful to highlight, you know, just how complex the situation is and, and how important it is that people are really careful about the engagement letter yeah. and that the disclaimers are, are really clear. And then having made those disclaimers, you don't go and advise on what you say you're not going to advise on from a PI perspective that's obviously really important thank you very much for your time today thank you also to our listeners we do hope that you'll join us for episode two where we're going to be talking about the EWS1 form and also landlord certificates and leaseholder deed of certificates thank you for listening to this episode of fortune favors the brave from howden To hear more episodes and subscribe to our channel, search Fortune Favours the Brave on your favourite podcast app.